Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, good morning to those that are at the Cove campus and those that are online. Um, just so grateful to be with you this morning. Grateful for the time we've already had in worship. And, and I want to tell you a little bit about just worship and some of the things that you may be uh, seeing, some new faces on stage and some things that we're, gonna, we're excited about moving forward to in November. Uh, but one of the things I want to let you know is that Alan Tidmore has been on our team for the last few years and has just done an amazing job of leading us in worship, being part of our Sunday gatherings, uh, an incredible support that he and Casey have been a, as, as part of the River Tree family. And we're giving Alan some time off. There are just uh, uh, years of ministry that Alan has been involved in, eight or nine years of just continually serving the Lord faithfully uh, and leading in worship. And so if you haven't seen Alan lead on stage in the last few weeks, just know that we as a team of uh, leaders and elders that love Alan uh, want to bless him with just some time away for some soul care. And so if you haven't seen Alan or you don't see him for the next few weeks, just know uh, that Alan is getting a, a well-deserved break and is using it as some time just to uh, continue to uh, see what the Lord is doing in his own heart and renew him and refresh him. So I tell you that, that if God leads you to just reach out to them and extend community to them, uh, even though he won't be here with us on Sundays, uh, there's opportunities for you to continue to, to connect with him and, and, and encourage him. And so we're excited about that time for him. But in light of that, you've already seen some new friends and some new faces. If you were at Cove last week, uh, Andrew uh, led us in worship. Uh, today, Sophia is here. And so be prepared in this interim time to just uh, meet some new guest worship leaders or see some others within our worship ministry have a chance to lead out on a Sunday. Uh, and it's headed towards a really exciting time for us in November. Uh, I believe it's November 15th. We've already set aside a day where we're looking to be out in the park again. If you were part of the big spring event that we had a Sunday night of worship a few weeks back, uh, we're looking to do that again. And so we're just excited about what Josh and the team are doing here at River tree across two campuses and things that are happening during the week for you guys to know what songs that we're singing and things happening on social media for you to begin to already prepare your heart for worship throughout the week. I'm just thrilled with the things that we're getting a chance to see and experience and do at River Tree. So those are some things I want you to be aware of and be in prayer about and be excited about what God is doing in our worship ministry. We are in the, the, the letter of 1 John and so I want to draw your attention to that. We are, we're headed, we're making our way through this for the last few months. And what we're going to look at today is kind of not, un, um, you may not be unfamiliar with it if you've been with us over the last few months, because John is talking about love. Uh, and John circles back on this topic of love time and time again. And there are really three kinds of love that John tells us about. And one is this love that we are to have for God, a love that God has for us. And then this love that we have for one another. And in chapter 2 of 1 John, he tells us that kind of an evidence, an evidence of our faith, an evidence of being kind of Christian is this love that we have, kind of this fellowship with God. That when we are in fellowship with God, there is a love that we experience for God and for one another. There is also in chapter 3, he talks about kind of our sonship. The fact that we are sons and daughters, that we become family of God that there is an experience and an expression of love. And today in chapter four, maybe even um, familiar to some of you, John says something so profound. He actually helps us understand the source of love, the source of love as another evidence of what he wants us to understand as God's people. So first John chapter four, verse seven says, dear friends, let us love one another. 
For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love does not know God because, and here's the phrase, because God is love. God is love. I just want to I want to kind of unpack that with you this morning. I feel like, and, and you probably, it's, it's such a simple statement, and yet it is profound. I feel like as you hear a statement like that, you're, you're quickly swimming in deep water. God is love. And what it means is this, that love has its source in God. Love has its source in God. Love comes from God. And, and love is a sign that you know God and are experiencing God. In other words, love is the appropriate outworking of God in your life. That as you know God, there is an experience and an exchange of love from God to us that it begins to permeate all the areas of your life. Now, again, there's this idea of like, what is love? And Because we love so many different things. We love it when the weather changes from summer to fall. We love it when our football team wins. We love it when we have people around our table and we're sharing a good meal together. There's a lot of things that we love, but what we see, see here is this idea that God is love. It means that love is all over God. And, and it also kind of involves and conditions everything that God does. I want you to think about that. I just want to kind of, kind of peel the layers on this idea of what it means for God is love. It's this idea that love conditions everything that God does. When God dispenses his grace, it's love. When God brings rightful judgment against sin, it is also love. Everything that God does is love. The good days that you experience bad days that you experience, none of those are disconnected from a God who is love and the ongoing work, outwork of love that flows from God. It's in his very nature. It's his very character. Everything that God does is connected to love. And that's powerful to think about because often God gets criticized in his anger or in his wrath or in his jealousy. Well, how can God be loving in those things? And there are times where we take certain attributes or characteristics of God and we set them aside from one another. But the theologians for centuries have said it's God's love in the midst of those things. That God's wrathful is a loving wrath. That God's anger is not disconnected from God also being loving. That God's judgment and justice are connected to his love. And this is what's underneath this, as John is saying this, that we have as believers God defining love for us, not us defining love for God. And that's an incredible kind of place to land that we allow God to define what love is because God is love. And it means this, that God is always inclined to us. God is always inclined to you. A.W. Tozer says this, that love always wills the good of its object. It always wills the good of its object. If you really love somebody, you want the best for them. And this kind of inclination of God, because God is love, towards us, towards the object of his love, means that love casts out all fear. That we never have to wonder how God feels about me. I can come to God without uncertainty. I can come to God with a sense of security that because God is love, he is always inclined to me and it assures me that God wants the best for us. 
You know, as parents, you would do anything for your kids. There's, there's, there's not anything from, from jumper cables to a kidney that you wouldn't give your children. And, and you would offer that willingly. All that I have are my kids. It's theirs, right? Any parent would say, I would willingly sacrifice everything, even my own life, if it could somehow benefit and assure them and create a security with them. Love always wills what's best for the others. Jennifer, man, when we were having our family and she was pregnant and it was, and, and wives, you, moms, you've probably experienced this as well, that there is something that happens in a, in a woman's body when she's carrying a child. And it is like this utter shift of nutrients, this other and kind of the shift of life to what was life-giving for her is now she's being depleted. Like, I think Jennifer had a root canal with every one of our kids because like those children were just sucking things from her, life and calcium and nutrients. And like, there was always issues, health issues that she was dealing with during those nine months of pregnancy. But she never complained about that. That was never something that she lamented. It was just part of kind of what does my child need and our love for them. Even at the kind of very beginning point, there was never any complaining. God is inclined to us because God is love. I feel like Jesus was always reminding the disciples of this, this inclination, this posture of God towards us, towards his people. You know, when when the disciples were, you know, struggling, Jesus wasn't coming, coming back to them and saying, hey, you know, kind of quit your whining, you know, snap out of it, you know, get to work. You know, Jesus wasn't in this kind of, kind of place with them, which left them unsure. Jesus was always kind of speaking to this love relationship that he was establishing for them, saying this, whatever you need, ask it. Ask in my name and it will be given to you. In other words, there is a love relationship that's being so established by what Jesus and God are doing for us and for his people that there is this posture of what you need. I'm here for you. God is love. I'm with you. I'm for you. Ask away. And because God is, is love, then here's an important point. We can't assume that he feels about us the way we feel about us because we're not love. God is. And so there is something about the way God feels about you that might be very different than the way that you feel about you. Unless you love yourself freely, compassionately, intensely, without restriction. And if you love yourself that way, then perhaps you're getting close to the way that God loves you and is inclined to you and the way he feels about you. It's one thing to feel loved by God when our lives are kind of neat and they're put together and it's organized and we've done everything right that day. It's another thing to be loved by God when we fail, when it's out of control, when it's not put together. And yet, what John is saying in this moment here of God's love is our failings do not hinder God's love towards us, God's love for us. God is love, is love. What it means is also is God's love doesn't ebb and flow. God's love doesn't, doesn't change. It's not kind of a fitful love. It's not a frustrated love. There's, there's not a moment where God loves you more. 
Now, I would say that's different. You know, in our experience of love, there's often kind of, kind of moments that rise up in our experiences. Like we sometimes get surprised or there's kind of an, a, a, a discovery of emotions and thoughts where we see somebody and we look across the room and it was love at first sight, something we'd never felt before, but oh, Lord, to this person, right? Our hearts are drawn, our inclinations are towards them. There's these moments that we have these beautiful connections with friends or family or kids or parents, and we are kind of stoked in this new sense of profound love and inclination and connection with them. God never has those moments. He's never surprised. He's he's never discovering. He's never having something that kind of allows his love to rise and fall. It never ebbs and flows. His love is free and it is spontaneous and it is uncaused. And he is loved this way from the very beginning. That's what John means when he says God is love. Because God is love, his love can't be one. I mean, there's not something that you can do that will somehow kind of garner God's attention and affection in a greater way towards you. And because God's love can't be one, it's not conditional, there's not some kind of merit or some kind of work that you can do to bring greater love to you, because God's love can't be one, guess what? It can't be lost. And this is what makes us incredibly secure as God's people, to know this kind of love, that you cannot win God's love, thus you cannot lose God's love. C.S. Lewis talks about this kind of love that God has for us as gift love. He says this, In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. To give. Love that. Like giving. We're approaching a season here where we'll be giving. Giving gifts here not too long. We heard that countdown. It was mentioned in our home not too long ago, a couple days ago. Jennifer said, hey, only so-and-so days till Christmas. I'm like, what? We're already there. She's already kind of thinking and planning and beginning to ask the kids, like, what do we want to do? What do you want? Make your list. What's it going to be? And it took me back to a moment, uh, a kind of a a Christmas gift-giving moment that I know I, I probably shared this a few years ago at Christmas time, but if you weren't here, let me just indulge me just for a moment and share you a story of kind of Christmas and gift giving. And it was Christmas Eve and, and Christmas Eve services for you and I are kind of, we, we show up at church and it followed for us that night, kind of after the service is concluded, uh, a chance to have dinner. It was a wonderful dinner. And it was, it was getting towards 10.30 that night and at 10.30, everybody's in bed. And it was that moment for me where, you know, I start working, Right? It's kind of how do you begin to set out the presents? How do you begin to make the presentations? So that, you know, kind of it, it, every, to everybody's delight and excitement. So at 1030, I, I began to kind of look, okay, what do we have? And so for my daughter, Lydia, at the time, she was very young. I had found this most amazing kind of gift. It was an inflatable boat. Uh, and it was, it was probably the, the size of this carpet that I'm standing on. And it was this inflatable boat, tugboat. It had this kind of chimney smokestack where you could stand up in it on the picture. There were like half a dozen children kind of frolicking in this thing that, you know, you kind of 
filled up, and it was a giant ball pit. Once you got it together, you poured all these bowls. I mean, it had the wow factor. Like, you, I just knew she's going to walk out of her bedroom. She's going to see this. It's going to be amazing. So at 1030, I go into the garage, and I begin to pump this up. Well, there's, there's no way I've got enough air capacity in my lungs to accomplish this. So I find a little air pump. I begin to put it on there. And at 1030, in the cold garage on Christmas Eve night, I'm filling this thing up about, I'd say, 30 minutes into it. I just don't know if any air's getting in. Have you ever felt, you know, kind of filled up a raft, a big raft, and you're just watching it for any kind of sign of life? You're looking, will any of it moving, just kind of watching and watching? And sure, there's not, a, is this thing working? You're looking at the pump, like, is the air coming out of this? And you pinch the nozzle, right? You're like, is it, well, am I not pinching it right? Like, how do I hold the nozzle to get the air to go in? And at that point, it's 11 o'clock at night, and I realize I gotta do something else. This will never get blown up by the, tomorrow morning. Well, well, who can I call, right, 11 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve? What can I borrow? Like, all those thoughts are going through my head, and I realize that at the Exxon, just a few miles down the road from me, there is a large tire pump. That thing puts out a lot more pressure than the thing I'm using. So I I grab the the boat, throw it into the van. I go down to the Exxon, and sure enough, at 11 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve, somebody is parked right in front of the air pump. You know how frustrating that is? And so I'm like, whatever, whatever. So I park next to it. I pull this thing out. I'm like, I don't care who this guy is. Like, he's inside buying something right now. We're going to, I don't want to make eye contact, right? I'm filling up an inflatable boat at 11 o'clock in a gas station parking lot. But I don't care. And I, I put the nozzle on, and all of a sudden, it starts to move, right? I can say, oh, yes, like air's coming in. Like, we're going to get there. A few minutes into it, it starts to take shape. But I get hit by something wet, like, oh my goodness, what is happening? It's starting to rain. And so I'm filling up this inflatable boat. The guy comes out, he moves his car. I kind of give him a little, you know, nod and he moves away. And, and I find an umbrella in the car, but I've got, you know, one hand on the boat, one hand on the pump. I've got this umbrella kind of, you know, wedged between my cheek and my shoulder just to kind of, so I don't get soaking wet. And sure enough, it's filling up, it's filling up, it's filling up. And finally, it is full. Here's the dilemma. It's so big. I just told you how big this thing is. I cannot get it back in the van. And I'm looking at this boat that's about the size of my car. And I'm like, what am I about to do? It's 1130 at night on Christmas Eve. So I jump in the driver's seat. I hook my arm around this inflatable boat. And I just start driving home. And so if you were in Hampton Cove on Christmas Eve a few years ago, and you thought you saw a tugboat and a Honda Odyssey drag racing down the Eastern Bypass, you saw me. You saw me. That was what... So I get home, I take a running start towards the front door because I realize that like, it's, it's bigger than the front door. I push and push, I get the thing through, I wipe it down, it's in the middle of the living room, and I, I go to sleep. It's well after midnight, and I'm like, I'm exhausted. But there was something in me that was like, when she sees this, she's going to love it. She did. She did. It was her delight. J.I. Packer says this. Those that truly love are only happy when those whom they love are truly happy also. Why would I do that? Because those that truly love are only happy when those they love are also happy. What is love? 
Like as, as John is beginning to open up this idea, love is doing the best we can for somebody. The best we can. And this is what John is going to reveal to us. Like he's telling us who God is in his nature, in his character. And then John actually defines love. He actually reveals to us what love looks like for us. What is the foundational idea here? And he says this in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Sinclair Ferguson makes this comment about love and and how we know it and how it's revealed. And he goes, there's three qualities that reveal to us the significance of, of, of love, the expression of love. And he says, one, the first quality is the lover, Who is the lover? The second one is, he says this, it's the object of the love. So who is the lover? The greater the lover, the greater the love. And then the second quality is, it's the object of the love. And he would say this, the lesser the object, the greater the love. And third, it's the expression of love. The greater the expression of love, the more marvelous. Verse 9 and 10 tell us the identity of the lover. This is God. God sent, God showed, God showed his love. Anselm, a Benedictine monk from a thousand years ago, a Christian philosopher said this, he defined God in this way, a being than which no greater can be conceived. A being in which no greater can be conceived. In other words, who is the lover? The identity of the lover is God, the creator of the universe. There is no greater person than God. Thus, there is no greater love than what we understand God can express. The object of this love, John tells us this, and he kind of echoes what is also a very well-known passage in John chapter 3, where he says, For God so loved what? The world. The object of God's love the world. And it's not just any world. I want to tell you, it's, it's this world. This world God loved. And it's men and women who are prodigal in their nature, who are rebels at their core. It's this world that God has chosen to love. I just went to a website this past week and just scrolled down through the, the first dozen or so headlines. Let me just kind of give you a quick glimpse into the world that we live in. The news of the day says unemployment running out of millions. The U.S. passes 8 million COVID cases. Teacher decapitated after allegedly showing Muhammad cartoons. Largest wildfire in Colorado history burns over 167,000 acres. Broke back mountain adaptation to star all transgender cast. GOP senators slam Trump saying he kisses dictators' butts. What's coming this winter? Here's how many more could die in the pandemic. Lakers win one for Kobe, Trump returns to trial. 10-month-old hearts, 10-month-old heart stops beating after legal battle, legal battle over his life support. 
NASCAR driver fired for using N-word, hoping for a comeback. The Godfather, Mexico's ex-defense chief, helped to ship tons of cocaine and heroin, charges say. This world. For God so loved this world with, with these problems, with these people, with these issues, realize that what John is saying is, for God so loved the world, the world is not just a statement about the breadth of God's love. The world is a statement about the depth of God's love, that he would love us here, this world. If John clarifies that the identity of the lover is the creator of the universe, and if he says the object of this love is the world filled with prodigals, then the expression of this love is also in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. You know, it's surely a feat. It is surely something to be amazed about when someone kind of gives their life for another, when someone is willing to die for someone else. That is surely something that we would talk about. But I want you to hear this, that what John is talking about is not just a man dying for a friend, but he's talking about God dying for his enemies. Colossians tells us that Jesus is, in him all things were created and for him, all things create, for created, that he is before all things and he holds all things together. And so the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, gives his life for sinners and takes up the role of a servant. Philippians 2 gives this very idea that, that Jesus emptied himself, right? He, he emptied himself and, and took on the role of a servant. But I don't want you to be confused about what that word means, empties. It's not as if he kind of gave up his divinity, but it's as if he emptied himself. He, he poured himself into humanity. And as Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, sees the conditions of the world that it is in and the only way that it might experience life, Jesus says, send me. It wasn't his position in heaven that somehow saved him from his own volunteerism to go forward. It wasn't like send somebody else. Could somebody else? Why didn't God just send an angel? Because only God could reconcile us to God. And Jesus himself descends heaven, the infinite creator of the universe, and, and kind of pours himself into infinitesimally small humanity, takes on the role of a servant, and descends all the way down to death, even death on a cross. And this is the measure of the love. This is the gift. He gives us Jesus and he does all this so the scriptures say that we might live through him. God addressed our greatest need. Because everything that we'd experienced up to this point had been a product of sin and death. And so we had to have something come to us. It's why every other religion fails in this way, because it doesn't address what we need. We need something from outside this world to come in, to break into our world, to save us, to know. Meaning that apart from Jesus, we aren't living. We needed life to come to us. Our depravity and our need was so great that we would never be able to find life on our own. We needed help. And this is love. 
that God would do that for us. And it, not as a return favor. Not as like, hey, thanks for doing this. Not some kind of warranted measure of his grace. It wasn't evoked by something that you did before. But in fact, while you were far from God, sinners, God demonstrated his love in this. That Christ died for us on the cross. A free choice from who he is. And he wants us to have life. And so he sends Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins and to die on the cross so that we might experience not death, but life. God wants that. God wants that so much that his sacri the sacrifice of his son was part of this expression of love. And this, this is what makes us secure. Why are we secure in our salvation because the very salvation that we have is an expression of God's unconditional love. He secures us to himself because it isn't about works. It isn't about merit. God gives us our salvation. And this expression of his love is forever prevailing. His love is forever enduring. It is forever a chosen kind of love that when you experience the love of God in your life and see Jesus for who he is, your life is forever secure in this kind of love. This kind of inclination. God wants to love us this way. And he wants to show you that through Christ. And it's not about you trying to be better. It's not about you trying to be less broken. It's not about trying to get more things right. But, but where we are this morning is that you and I would embrace this deep, profound, prevailing love that God has for us. The truth, that truth has to kind of break its way into our hearts. It has to kind of move down deep. And when, when you realize the logic of it, when you realize that God would love us that way, if he would not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with Christ give us everything that we need? This is, this is the beauty of what we see John offering us is God is that good and our lives are that secure that we're now no longer clamoring for wealth or fame or security. We're no longer having to hide our, our fear and shame anymore. That because God is love, he welcomes us out that God could really love me like that. That now you are truly free when you know God this way. Free. Free to be ordinary. Free to be imperfect. To be loved like this. God being the lover. You and I being the object of that love and the expression of that love. Jesus. Infinite creator. Sustaining and holding all things together. Descending to a cross to take up the weight of that so that you and I might be free. Does, is that a love that you would love to experience in your own life? To know God like that, to see him like that, to be home with God. I say this, to be home with yourself. Let's pray. Let me just give you a moment. 
as we pray and as we move into a time of worship to consider one of the best stories of love in the scriptures. And it's a story about two sons. And one son leaves home and goes astray. And the other son goes astray, but he never leaves home. The first son feels restricted and wants more and loses everything trying to have it. The other son never saw what was always his. And as much as we tell this story about two sons, there's really a third son, the son that's telling the story, who loves the father so much that he left home to bring back the strays. The son, one with God, equal with God, did not think equality with God was a reason not to go and come to us. But he came and he died so that you and I might live. This is love. This is love. Got to pray this morning that love would break into our hearts in a new way. That our fears and our shame and our insecurity would seem small compared to the great expression of God himself loving us through Christ, that we would find ourselves more pursued than we thought, more sought after than we imagined, not because of our goodness, but because of who God is, because of what has been revealed in Christ. Jesus, let that work within our hearts this morning. We might be amazed again captured again by your love and so changed to be an object of unconditional love changes you let it change us today Jesus